Hello, I'm Ben Stein, and today I'm going to make history. I'm putting up $5,000 that says I know more than you. So if you're smart enough, fast enough, and if you've got the guts, you can win Ben Stein's money. Welcome back, finally, to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan, as always, here with... I'm Luke Savage. Hi, guys. Sorry it's been a while. It's been entirely my fault. I've just been busy with stuff, uh, so that's why it's been a while. Um, in fact, there was a time last week when Will actually came over to record, and um, I was just too exhausted to, to do it, so we just hung out instead. Uh, I didn't I didn't want to sit through the particular film he was talking about. Frankly, I, I liked it. I'm Let's not put all of our interactions into the content mill. <laughs> well, in fact, I think my, my last week's self was vindicated because we watched the film that he'd proposed uh, last week uh, tonight, and boy, was it a... A fucking a real shit sandwich. We'll get to that later. But I think I I was too tired then, and uh, you seem pretty tired. Barely, now, barely had the energy now. Yeah, sorry. I'll bring I'll bring some energy back to this. How have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I'm <laughs> feeling really excited today because my favorite show, uh, Last Man Standing, starring Tim Allen, it's been announced. It's returning to the airwaves. Could it be? I thought that uh, the airwaves were dominated by liberals and that they wouldn't air like a show um, reflecting our views. Yeah, you know. As, uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, the views of you know, good, real American folks who live in Toronto and have ironic <laughs> Michael Moore podcast. I think it's a testament to sort of how broken my brain has been from being on Twitter <laughs> too much that. You know, when it was announced that Fox is bringing back Last <laughs> you, Man Standing. You were, you were like, yes. <laughs> I, actually, I actually was because the only place that liberals have any power anymore is in the entertainment industry, which is, of course, the least <laughs> important sphere of politics. And Yeah, it's, it's a little bit below like the courts yeah. and the federal government. And But liberals jealously guard that <laughs> that small amount of politics they have. And so, you know, if you're if you spend a lot of time on Twitter, you spend a lot of time learning about... You you know, like, is it ethical to consume, you know, this kind of art? Is this talk show host suitably progressive? Is it is it possible to watch the new Roseanne and still be a good person? So the announcement of Last Man Standing coming back also came with Brooklyn Nine-Nine being canceled. What is Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I've been seeing people tweet about that all week, but you know how you see things kind of in the periphery yeah. of your vision on Twitter and like, I just don't fucking have time to look. Uh, I haven't seen a single episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm sure it's fine. But a lot of the sorts of people I follow on Twitter seem to take it as almost like a personal assault. Right. And I think the idea of losing the only sphere that we, you know, let's broadly call it we, have any power. It's pretty it's, wide use of yeah. the word we there. And that and that's funny to me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, let take our tv too <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll actually get some reading done for well, a change frankly you know if, if they take away our tv and you know one show by one <laughs> the the tv shows that we used to be able to depend on start start being replaced by conservative tim the, allen the, shows the, the dominoes start to fall first they came for brooklyn nine nine yeah. and but if that happens then maybe we'll be able to We'll say, okay, well, we've lost that. Maybe we can turn our attention back to, I don't know, winning back <laughs> state <laughs> legislatures. <laughs> it would be really funny. Like, I mean, can, can you imagine, like, we, liberal Hollywood is so awful and cloying and hypocritical and morally debased, but 
I mean, imagine what conservative Hollywood would be like. It would be... Yeah, frankly, it would be better, I think. It would be, It would be. you know, call this horseshoe theory if you must. This is but, horseshoe theory. But I'm, I'm so tired of, of all this just didactic, corny art by, you know, good people saying good points. Will, Will's, uh, Will's just a couple eps away from becoming an alt-right guy. <laughs> <laughs> Will was talking about how the MAGA people make some good points before this. Is that not not true not true that's a lie uh, uh how was your week uh it's been all right i i've been really exhausted just last week i did more writing in kind of a short time than i mean maybe ever mm. certainly that i've done in a really a really long time i find that's often what happens like things just kind of bottleneck and you know the uh, ontario election's been going on and so busy with that in various ways i don't know yeah i'm feeling feeling a lot more relaxed now than i was well that is until you made me watch this stupid movie okay so the movie we watched tonight and i picked this movie you know over luke's protestations he had other things he wanted there to watch protestations i just but, i just said like well maybe we could watch this and then will was like well my heart's set on I, ben stein and you know one of the reasons i picked it is it's because it's the 10th anniversary of this film i think just a, a week or two ago it's ben stein's will had it on his calendar <laughs> ben stein's expelled no intelligence allowed a film that i saw in a theater uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's his anti-evolution polemic. I disagree with Will's characterization because all it's asking is just us to open our minds a little bit. Yeah. Uh, tear down the wall. Just ask questions. Yeah. Just ask questions about, you know, did evolution, you know, start kind of a, a liberal cult of death that <laughs> led to everything from the Holocaust to abortion? That's right. <laughs> I was viewed as an intellectual terrorist. If you have questioned Darwinism, that's it. Your career is over. I have been told to shut up. Just stand up and question Darwinism. You'll find out how risky that is. There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch God. Religion. I mean, it's just fantasy, basically. Scientists are not allowed to even think thoughts that involve an intelligent creator. We cannot accept to treat intelligent design as an alternative scientific theory. I'm frightened by this, but I'm not going to let it stop me from investigating and from speaking about it. Another reason that I chose this movie is because, you know, like another favorite film of the podcast an american carol it's a movie that came out in the last year of the bush administration against the grain of you know a certain popular sentiment yeah and i thought that it would be a very dated film because this wasn't that long after that documentary jesus camp the mm -hmm. big boogeyman at the time was the religious right yeah and we don't hear as much about the religious right anymore so i thought the movie would be a bit dated but I don't know. All the arguments in the movie are the same arguments that are being applied to people like Jordan Peterson now. Lin Lindsay, the Lindsay Shepard controversy at Guelph. I kept thinking about that. Yeah, it's all that kind of right-wing academic freedom bullshit. It's amazing because watching this, I mean, it is so dated on the one hand. And I mean, it's it's so funny, you know, we'll talk about it some more maybe, but I mean, the film so perfectly apes the style of an early 2000s, like Michael Moore documentary. Like, like right? almost as a the, rubric. The cinematography, everything. Michael more influenced 
the sort of conservative propagandizing that really, really hated him and saw him as a kind of primordial nemesis. One but, of the things they hated about him so much was that they regarded him as effective. Yeah. Like they were jealous yeah, yeah. of him. Which is so funny because rewatching a lot of Michael Moore movies, yeah. it's like, how did anybody buy this? Um, but no, I mean, so it's so dated in, in this one way um, because, I mean, the kind of concerns that animated are so removed from, you know, I mean, this, you know, it's Ben Stein sort of basically... Um, you know, defending the sort of Bush era style religious right stuff. But then on the other hand, I mean, it was just a previous front in the conservative culture wars that used all the same tactics. And I mean, in many ways was part and parcel of kind of the same, you know, mischaracterization of the conservative predicament, which is, you know, here, here's Ben Stein, who's, you know, a Republican aligned guy, former speechwriter for Richard Nixon, and he's like, we're under attack, you know, as his guy is in the White House, you know, towards the end of his second term, mm. uh, having just appointed like Samuel Alito to the U.S. Supreme Court <laughs> and stuff. It's so dated, but also all the tactics that appear in it about kind of free speech and just asking questions, you know, behind which it's immediately revealed is like a deeply conservative uh, worldview. It's all here. They've done it before. What we're experiencing now is just sort of the latest front of it, the latest kind of more more secularized front that's abandoned a lot of the religious detritus that was part of this. So this is a movie that really uh, sticks it to the Darwinista establishment. Yeah, we, you know, we learned big we, science. We learned that uh, the word Darwinist that that was like that was the equivalent of SJWs at that time. So who better to go after the elites than, of course, Ben Stein, <laughs> as you mentioned, former Nixon speechwriter. <laughs> later you know semi-popular character actor you know bueller bueller <laughs> uh the mask <laughs> so dr newman you're saying that everybody wears a mask that's correct wendy we all wear masks metaphorically speaking and of course he reached i guess the pinnacle of his fame in the 90s as host of win ben stein's money did he have a lot of money for people to win i mean how rich is he? Okay, so when Ben Stein's money, the, the, the idea of it was that, yeah, you would supposedly win $5,000 of his money, but it wasn't actually his money. It's not it was, a lot of money. They, they were able to call it that because he would get to keep, in addition to his salary for the show, he would get to keep whatever was left that they didn't win out of the $5,000. So technically it's his money. That's so stupid. Yeah. Anyway, so Ben Stein, I think nobody's idea of a populist kind kind of demagogue, you know, a, a really charismatic figure. But anyway, he hosts this and the film comes out of his great concern that at universities, certain scientists, they're having their tenure removed. They're not being able to get jobs. They're not getting grant money because they dare to question the hegemonic view of evolution. Yeah, the Darwin industrial complex. Yeah. He talks to one after another and he paints the picture of this, you know, vast conspiracy that encompasses... Uh, well, the media, the courts, mm -hmm. yeah, in journalism. In addition to universities. It's pretty fuzzy, but it's science has become like big business. And yeah, I mean, it's really the sort of close he gets to a unified thesis of it is that it's just intellectual conformity mm -hmm. that if you want the grants and stuff you have to kind of go for this but as you said during the film i think quite correctly it's like if a scientist could prove the existence of god they would do it right so you know the, the biggest problem okay sorry it's not there are so many problems with the movie but one of the problems of the movie is that he keeps saying over and over again the theory of evolution is flawed. Any scientist, though they don't want to admit it, will eventually be forced to admit there are big holes in the theory. 
our understanding of what a cell is has evolved so much since Darwin was alive. But he never gets around to saying, what are these flaws? Yeah, I mean, he's sort of, when he corners a lot of the scientists who are sort of the main antagonists of this movie, you know, people like, uh, you know, of course, my great, great pal, uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard um, Dawkins the, is to this film as Charlton Heston is to Bowling for Columbine. That's right. When he corners them, like, the mo- his sort of gotcha moments are just them doing what scientists are supposed to do and expressing doubt and skepticism in areas where there actually isn't an explanation or where there isn't total certainty. So the thing that he's supposedly demanding from them, you know, which is kind of open-mindedness, is the very thing he's criticizing them for. Mm -hmm. Which, like, I'm no fan of Richard Dawkins, but he's clearly the good guy in this particular, you know, exchange. I guess the thing that Ben Stein thinks is his strongest argument is that scientists still don't have an explanation for how the very first life form came into being. Mm -hmm. So he says, you know, why not bring God to the table? Mm -hmm. But of course, the problem with that is science is about natural, testable phenomena. Yeah, and you can't really test whether there's a God or not. I mean, we should just say this whole issue of kind of design, you know, it is a, a real sphere of philosophical inquiry. I mean, it's something that you know, has preoccupied a lot of Western philosophy. I mean, you know, even Plato, in many ways, you know, one of the founders of Western philosophy, I mean, you know, the middle period Plato is quite different from like the late period Plato, like in the Republic, the, you know, sort of metaphysics is very like mathematical and like there are these forms that are kind of the basis for everything. But he sort of moved on a little bit from that because he decided, well, if there, if there are these perfect forms for things, what is the kind of structuring presence that gives them a, a coherence? Like, you know, why isn't everything just kind of smushed together? Why does anything have structure? And so in later Platonic texts like the Timaeus, he sort of moves closer towards a sort of proto-Christian, you know, metaphysics. Genuinely interesting questions, but as you said, just really not within the purview of inductive science. And really mm-hmm. the tactic that people like Ben Stein use here is they're sort of trying to have it both ways. They're trying to you know, kind of defend faith as such, but then also annex kind of the language of inductive science in order to, like, make less taboo their completely unverifiable, unsubstantiated claims. You may say that, you know, Einstein was a religious man. The movie sort of briefly acknowledges that, but what it basically says is, well, actually, you know, that's a distraction. The Catholics, the mainstream Protestants, you know, they're just doing that to be liked. I don't know, like sure. whatever, whatever the argument, whatever the argument was, and and you know, the movie couldn't ask for a better villain in this line of thought than Richard Dawkins, who, you know, does his usual shtick of, well, of course, I I believe that uh, <laughs> learning about evolution has made me believe in God less. Yeah, I like I like how your Richard Dawkins accent is like just it's like an english accent but it's the wrong one like you you gave him a sort of very bad like northern english accent like oh, oh. richard dawkins has the most so you believe in god right <laughs> R- right eh? well um um oh uh, virgin birth oxymoron much oh my god this is like it's like if a bad like knockoff monty python did like a richard dawkins richard dawkins has the most like Ooh, a talking snake yeah <laughs> A burning book. He has, he has, he has the most like patrician cadence to his voice imaginable. I know, it's all, it's all the same to me. <laughs> but you know, the the movie basically says that big science, their big conspiracy, is to destabilize religion and to bring it all crashing down. And what happens if you take away religion? 
What what happens if you take away religion, Luke? Well, this is really funny because this is when the film gets into the latent deep conservatism that's <laughs> kind of there the whole time, right? I mean, if there is a deep structure kind of thesis to conservatism for like the last 300 years, it's that like... You know, well, we started to question God, and then before we knew it, you know, people wanted democracy, and then... Yeah, feminism. And then, yeah, and, and then women wanted rights, too. People and wanted pe- the vote, Yeah, and, you, know, <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> this licentious culture was getting out of control. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, he gets into some really weird stuff about how, you know, having spent the first part of the film kind of arguing that, you know... Well, really doing so the just asking questions, you know. Um, Maybe there's a God. Maybe I don't, there isn't. I don't Who know knows? what's what, true. And yeah. then and then he's just kind of saying that... Then uh, he strongly implies that if you don't believe in God, there's no basis for kind of ethics or morality. And, you know, everything becomes nihilistic. And even has kind of a weird... There's like some weird scientist who's, who's dying he interviews who is kind of openly a nihilist and is a... I think a sort of full determinist. He doesn't believe in his own agency or something. And, but he used to be a Christian. Yeah. Until he learned about science. Right. And the message is supposed to be, look, he can't even die with dignity because mm-hmm. he, um, and he, and, oh, and he says something about how he wants to blow his brains out if he, if his tumor comes back or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the message there is supposed to be, you know, once you accept, you know, the Darwinian thesis, you will favor euthanasia, you will favor, you know... Abortion. Uh, eugenics. Which I was surprised which, that abortion, abortion came up. Abortion, which is synonymous in this taxonomy with eugenics, and, like, mm-hmm. there's some weird shit about Planned Parenthood. Oh, and by the way, we should say, you know, we remarked before on the kind of aesthetic style of the film and how kind of Moorist it is, yes. you know. But one of the other things that's really funny, one, uh, sort of the more degenerated, less practiced Moorism of the film is kind of seen in the use of stock footage because Michael Moore, you know, we've made fun of him for it, but I mean, to, in his, to his credit, he uses stock footage in a highly ironic way. Like if he's making fun of a gun-toting Republican, he'll have some like old footage of a cowboy or something, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas in this, it's just the most heavy-handed shit ever. It'll be Ben Stein talking to somebody who you know has uh, not had their contract removed at an obscure like state college in the Midwest or something, and then there'll just be shots of as he's talking to them in his like dulcet droning you know cadence. Uh, <laughs> he's he's most soporific voice. There is, you know, there's like shots of Joseph Stalin and tanks, you know, rolling through Czechoslovakia. And well, stuff. he, he like, uses stock footage way more than Michael Moore does. Yeah, and probably because he didn't actually film very much because it's a really lazy film that only has like one trick. And, yeah, and then... I, I should say in fairness, Ben Stein didn't direct this. It was directed by someone else. But I think we know who the author is. Yeah. But I mean, aside from that, there's a lot of stock footage that's like, you know, you know, one of the professors will say, I really felt in conflict with my university and then it'll cut to like a cowboy shooting another cowboy. And it's like, they're not using that footage ironically because there's no, it's not funny to see a cowboy shooting another cowboy. It's just, you know, visual distraction. (laughs) Or, you know, there's another scene where Ben Stein is like, walking through the street trying to, to find the Discovery Institute. Uh, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, the Discovery Institute. And then he's just asking these random people, do, uh, do you know where, you know where the Discovery Institute is? And, yeah. then, and, then, and then all these people just, you know, outside the Starbucks or whatever are like, nope, sorry, I don't know. Like, welcome to Seattle or whatever. And of course, then he finds this like, 
completely obscure mm-hmm. crackpot organization on sort of the eighth floor of some mid-rise or whatever. And I guess the implication is, you know, why doesn't everybody know where this is? Right. So they've seen Michael Moore's movies. They know that like getting out in the streets and talking to sort of uh, random passers-by is, is like dynamic and it works for Michael Moore, but they haven't figured out why it works for yeah. him and or like, yeah, that's, what that's, the point That's him it trying is. to do Michael Moore's like confrontation with Miss Michigan or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but Ben Stein goes somewhere else. <laughs> where does he go? So there's a the, a segment of the film which is where I mean where it goes I mean completely off the rails. Um, interesting, a whole segment that was omitted from the first YouTube video we watched. Will remembered it from, I guess his his experience seeing this in a theater. Yeah, we watched the um, whole movie on YouTube, and I said, wait a minute. No, you said there's there's there's, a, a, there's another scene there's in this a movie. Very important piece missing, and that's when Ben goes to Dachau. And I mean, this is where the film fully throws itself onto the thesis that, you know, Darwin did the Holocaust. Basically, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's crazy. It's so, you know, I think it's incredibly. I mean, apart from just being, this film is mostly just very dumb and like misleading and kind of cheap but this is where this is the part of the film that's quite grotesque and contemptible i think it's difficult to describe how it felt to walk through such a haunting place to know that these cold stone and tile walls were the last things the victims of hadamar ever saw i wanted to explore this connection further so i met with the author of from darwin to hitler Dr. Richard Weikart. Hitler and many of the physicians that carried out this program were very fanatical Darwinists and particularly wanted to apply Darwinism to society. I mean, there's some pretty appalling imagery in this sequence Mm -hmm. that he's using in the midst of a conflict that, you know, at best is like low-level adjunct professors uh, being sort of laughed at by their colleagues because they tried to put something about intelligent design in a peer-reviewed journal and it was rejected or something. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's it's really, it's quite offensive, this, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Uh, Yeah, very much so. I have nothing to add. It's it's terrible, (laughs) it's grotesque, it's disgusting. Yeah. There are a couple of other sort of Michael Moore-ish touches where like Ben Stein will go with a camera crew into a university or into a museum and of course they'll be they'll be like taken out by security like what are they hiding? <laughs> uh, uh, you know they, they'll be denied interview requests by various you know professors or you know because again what are they hiding? Uh, but finally it concludes you know as it must uh, with another steal from Michael Moore. He basically tries to plagiarize the Charlton Heston scene from Bowling for Columbine by having a big encounter with Richard Dawkins. And uh, the interview between Stein and Dawkins is, if anything, even less rewarding than the one between Michael Moore and Charlton Heston. Yeah. Ben Stein, like, is trying to goad Richard Dawkins into admitting that there may be a god and there may be a creator. He, he sort of semi-gets him to do it. Yeah. But... There comes a point in the interview where he keeps saying, so, so you don't believe in the Old Testament God. So you don't believe in the, the Holy Trinity. Now, now, of course I don't. 
You're, you dude, you have the worst Richard Dawkins impression. No, no, no. I'm gonna, uh, it's really good. <laughs> and then Ben Stein goes, uh, so you don't believe in um, Buddha or in uh, or in any of the Hindu gods, do you? And he goes, no, no, f- of course I don't. Why Why don't you ask me such a thing? I just want to be sure. You don't believe in the, the Muslim god, do you? No, of course I don't. And what is the point of this line of questioning except to just trigger the lib? <laughs> Because it's like, just, yeah. just just getting Richard Dawkins to deny over and over again that he doesn't believe in God isn't that funny to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, well, and, and the thing is, I mean, the irony is too, like, that thing that people like Richard Dawkins do, like, their version of triggering the libs is the, like, oh, if you believe in that, why don't you believe in the flying spaghetti monster? Like, that's... It's equally cheap, it's yeah. Just, yeah, well, but it's just, that's the thing they do over and over again. Mm-hmm. So much of the pleasure of being sort of part of the new atheist community is just making this same extremely banal point over and over again. I mean, I'm so glad that the cultural conversation has at least in part moved. Like, we deserve better than a debate between Richard Dawkins and fucking Ben Stein, okay? So, uh, you believe it's liberating to uh, tell people that there is no God? I think a lot of people, when they give up God, feel a great sense of release. Uh, and freedom. Why do you think that? I mean, what's your well, dad? What's your scientist? What's your dad? I think. Well, I've had a lot of of letters saying that, and I've. There are eight billion people in the world, yeah, Doctor yeah, Dawkins. Know, How many letters yeah, have you had? No, I haven't. I haven't done that. that that's quite quite true. Professor Dawkins seemed so convinced that God doesn't exist that I wondered if he would be willing to put a number on it. Well, it's hard to put a figure on it, but but I I, I mean I'd put it as something like you know. N- 99% against or something. Well, how do you know it's 99% I don't. against, say, in 97 No, I did. you asked me to put a figure on it, and I, it, I'm not comfortable putting a figure on it. I think it's... I, I just think it's very unlikely. What? But you couldn't put a number on it? No, of course not. The movie concludes, as it really must, with Ben Stein calling for the wall to be torn down between science and religion, intercut with oh. scenes of uh, Ronald Reagan himself by, I love this scene. by the Berlin Wall. <laughs> ben, ben Stein literally edits it so that as he's giving, you know, some speech at, you know, I don't know, in some nameless auditorium or whatever to adoring fans. A very diverse crowd, I have to say. That's true. And then cuts in and out of Reagan giving a speech in front of the Berlin Wall. And then it ends with just like, you know, the great Michael Moore film, Where to Invade Next with the, uh, the Berlin Wall yeah. coming down. Behind me stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers. There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch a higher power, cannot possibly touch God. Those barriers cut across Germany in a gash of barbed wire, concrete, dog runs, and guard towers. Finally, Ben Stein concludes it by saying, some of you will have to be brave. Some of you might even have to lose your jobs for speaking the truth, but I hope you'll join me. And like, who is he addressing this to? To like, you know, some guy who who runs a sport utility store who votes Republican? Like, who is the audience for this movie that's supposed to join him in this like fight? You know, a guy who got banned from, like, his local GameStop for, like, ranting about the Crusades or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've taken a first step by speaking out on this issue. But if the wall is to come down, we all have to do our part. Some of you will pay a heavy price for speaking out. You may even lose your job. I guarantee you, you'll get hate email. But if you don't get involved, will anyone be left to carry on this struggle? 
Anyway, 10 years on, I think we can say that it his, holds up. his call to action, <laughs> you know, the Jordan, Jordan Peterson heeded the call. <laughs> yeah. So we're pretty much done with expelled, no intelligence allowed. I think you'll agree it was well worth digging up from oh. its grave. This is why we exist, to shine a light on these deservedly forgotten cultural artifacts. Man, this, this movie is unworthy of like a discount bin at a gas station. <laughs> But, you know, Ben Stein is not the only uh, public intellectual out there. Luke, you did some writing last week. Uh, What can you tell us about it? I had uh, a book review. People in Canada might be familiar with this, but for Americans who I assume comprise the majority of our audience, you might not be aware of the uh, Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. It's one of, uh, I guess, you know, two sort of left-wing think tanks in this country. I work for the other one. And uh, they have a magazine called The uh, the Monitor. And I have a book review of um, two pretty interesting pieces of um, Trump-era literature kind of on the right. One uh, called Alt-America, which is about sort of the rise of the far right, beginning with sort of 90s militia movements and kind of extending up to sort of the Alex Jones kind of era. And the other one, which I, I really liked, was Nancy McLean, who's a social movement historian, this book called Democracy in Chains. And I want to just take a couple minutes. I don't think I even mentioned this to you, but it's a really interesting book and probably pertinent to a lot of the stuff we talk about, not so much on on this episode in particular, but on the show generally. This is a book which I think only mentions Donald Trump once. It was mostly written, you know, before his election. It's just He's just mentioned in the intro. But essentially it's about what can only be described as like the multi-decade conscious ideological project of American conservatives to undo democracy in the United States and undermine it in every way possible. And basically, Nancy McLean stumbled upon the personal files of this guy, James Buchanan, who is a lit, well, not little known. I mean, he, you know, won major awards, I think, including a Nobel Prize for economics, but he's not kind of recognized within the cosmology of like, along with Milton Friedman and Hayek and people like that. But he is, in many ways, the intellectual godfather of the modern conservative movement. Basically, a lot of his papers were just sort of left over once the school he was teaching at, uh, once once it sort of migrated, it was all just left over. and it, Like, it wasn't really protected, mm. so she got access to all his personal correspondence and stuff. And, I mean, basically, his career began with the Brown versus the Board of Education decision, which desegregated, I think it was Virginia's school system. And uh, for Buchanan and others in this right-wing backlash, they saw this as coercion. They read this as this is an infringement upon freedom. A lot of them didn't even think of themselves as racist, but they could only sort of see this as an assault on, on personal liberty, not as kind of the extension of personal liberty to other people. And Buchanan developed this into a kind of grand theory that was self-consciously an anti-democratic one, he kind of argued that, you know, the majority view doesn't tend towards the libertarian sort of conservative right wing view. So it follows that we have to suppress democracy in every way Mm. we can. This really informed, you know, the sort of Goldwater thing and the subsequent kind of waves of conservatism that have followed it. So I I wrote I wrote a review of these two books and I pointed out that um, one of the problems with treating Donald Trump as a as an exception, right, is that Mm. there has been this quite conscious multi-decade project that Trump, you know, really is just channeling different currents of it. Like, I think it's incorrect to say that he's something new. So I would, I would recommend both those books, Alt America by uh, David Newart and 
Democracy in Chains by Nancy McLean. I also made my first appearance in The Guardian and The New Statesman in the last couple weeks, so I don't know. That's fun. If, if you guys are wondering what I think about Justin Trudeau... Um, you you can, like them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can check that out. I've written for the Etobicoke Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, back when I was in high school. What did you write? I, I had a column about being a teenager. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. What was your take on adolescence? I really don't know if I was... You were in favor qu- of it? If I was quite sophisticated enough to have a take on adolescence. <laughs> I think merely being a teenager you know, was, was enough. You had a, a blog post that I, that I really liked about... Uh, Monty Python. For folks that don't know, Will has a really good blog. What's the address? It is willsloanesq.wordpress.com for thoughts that can't find a home anywhere else. You should check out Will's blog because he puts a lot more effort into his blog than I do into mine. I mean, um, he doesn't just do kind of quick takes and i don't I, but your blog post on monty python i thought was was really uh was really great you and i have watched a lot of like flying circus together but i, I think we both exhausted kind of the holy grail and life mm-hmm. of brian during our uh well i think you know all, but... all of the monty python catalog was put on netflix recently right that was the occasion for your yeah and it, it sort of got me watching a lot of it again and i feel like my memory of it this is not very political by the way uh my my memory of it and i think most people's memory of it tends to boil it down to you know 15 or 20 iconic sketches that are standalone things but i feel that that perception of it which is a perception that has been very much you know fostered by the pythons themselves because they are great repackagers of their own material yeah uh but that perception of it is not what the show is at its best it's not what made the show great it's the fact that it was this sort of free-flowing comedy laboratory what's great about the show are not so much the iconic sketches but these little pieces that would just go nowhere the the stream of consciousness nature of it Mm -hmm. so what i'm trying to do with that article is help people rediscover a brand that has become in my opinion a little ossified right because you were saying in the piece that monty python it was you know was this very dynamic um, you know at at its peak anyway this very dynamic sort of comedy supergroup where people had you know different interesting sensibilities um, and the clash like, of those sensibilities it's like the beatles of comedy really yeah. but it's mostly synonymous with just kind of a few little jokes and for you know for people for people today in fact even you know when i was getting into monty python as a teenager like i was just into the holy grail and like a few sketches but it wasn't till later that i watched the flying circus and mm-hmm. and realized wow there's a whole kind of like weird logic mm-hmm. stream of consciousness kind of logic to this and mm-hmm. it's really interesting monty python it seems like i mean another problem like, as an appreciator of of monty python you're asking people to kind of excavate the stuff that's good because Monty Python has sort of become a bit like the Rolling Stones to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Like the Rolling Stones were one of the great rock bands and they're still around, but they're, you know, they're, they come out with material. And if you go to see them live, you know, they'll do Jumpin' Jack Flash. They'll do mm-hmm. Sympathy for the Devil, Brown Sugar, whatever. But it's kind of stripped of any of like the context that made it interesting mm-hmm. or great. If you were to see it just as if you were to go see like John Cleese do stand up or something, it's just kind of divorced from anything that made it exciting or interesting. It's a kind of traveling roadshow, like you're being invited to sort of live museum of the thing that you like. Well, absolutely. And I mean, a couple of years ago, the Pythons reunited for this arena show at the O2 Stadium in London 
if you watch it, you would have no idea that this was once something that was very kind of had this great spirit of innovation to it. It'd be like like going to see Ringo at the Niagara Falls Casino. Or like your grandparents at, you know, the retirement home doing the Christmas pageant (laughs) and, and, you know, putting on a dress. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to, you know, do my part for the culture uh, by getting people to rediscover something that they may have taken for granted. So yeah, uh, thanks for uh, bearing with us for the long break. Um, Although, honestly, we've given you a lot of free entertainment. So, you know, whatever. And we'll be back pretty soon with another episode, probably with something, you know, a little bit more relevant than (laughs) (laughs) Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Uh, But this was fun. Uh, Until next time, I'm Luke Savage. And I'm Will Sloan. Now watch this drive. I didn't crawl out of the ocean. I didn't come from no monkey. Science tends to forget, evolution's just a theory They present it in the textbooks and on animal TV Like it's back to tell me, were you there 12 million B.C.? If you're right and there's no God, I guess we'll all know before too long There's nothing to believe in after we're gone Cause fish still swim in the sea And the last time that I checked Apes still lived in trees They're not our distant cousins And I don't care what you say Giraffe's neck is long Cause God made it that way If you're right and there's no God I guess we'll all know before too long There's nothing to believe in After we're gone Disregard this song But I'd hate to be in your shoes When you find out that you're wrong That doesn't take a genius To know there's more than this But I'll put my faith in the word of God Not in scientists There's nothing wrong with science There's too much good to list you can stop trying to teach my kids to become an atheist And if you're right and there's no God I guess we'll all know before too long There's nothing to believe in after we're gone If you're right I'll eat my words and you can disregard this song But I'd hate to be in your shoes when you find out that you're wrong Yeah I'd hate Catholic Church is ostensibly fine with the theory of evolution. You know, these things is that, are... Is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. Since uh, when? They, they say sorry, so in Will, the Will's... Okay, we're well, right. In this in this definitely accurate movie... I, I'm a Catholic. Right. You, Will is the Catholic of, of the two of us. Catholics are not fundamentalist Christians. <laughs> Catholics regard evolution as... Proof. Uh, well, they, they regard it as reconcilable with the right, Bible. right. Um, now I've lost my train of thought. We, we, we take some of that out. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm giving you a hard time. Sorry, I, I get defensive, I think, because I, <laughs> that's my lapsed Catholicism coming back. <laughs>
It's like, how dare you? <laughs> That's my team. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might put that at the end. We of the can, yeah, I was thinking at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, oh, we have fun on Michael and us. 